You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I'm your illustrious host, Mason, and I'm here with my friend, Trey McLaren. Not so illustrious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trey, it's post-Thanksgiving. I've got all this turkey in me, and I feel great right now. <laughs> so today, we're going to be talking about playing with intent. Uh, it's pretty exciting. It's a, it's a thing that we've talked a lot about on the podcast, Trey. You know, we keep mentioning the words, play with intent, play with intent, play with intent. But we realized we never really talked about that, and so we're really excited to get to that and get talking about that in just one minute. But first, we need to read an ad from our sponsor, Long Test Pub. Hello, fellow Magic competitor. It's that time of year again, the Thanksgiving holiday. And while this annual cathartic reunion may be filled with joyous, familiar laughter and mirth, it always gives way to the next day, a dark day, Black Friday, a celebration of crass commercialism where armies sluggish with turkey meat dredge through the bargain bins, faithlessly looting to fill their castles. But what if all that shopping leaves you with an empty, creeping chill? You can shake off those holiday blues with a trip to the Long Tusk Pub. That's right, you'll be full of energy in no time with their everyday two-for-one specials. Long Tusk Pub, always growing so you don't have to. Big fan of Long Tusk Pub. We actually went there before the podcast started to get some burgers. It's delicious. But let's get right down into it because we do want to make sure, you know, we've got things to do today. Just like last week, a lot's going on with the holiday season. Let's talk about playing with intent. So, Trey, can you define playing with intent for our listeners? Sure. I'm just trying to get over how stupid I am for doing this Long Tusk Pub thing. Long Tusk Pub is a proud sponsor of the Even Odds podcast, and we do not call our sponsor stupid. Trey is just a little tipsy from the two-for-one special Long Tusk Pub. Hit them. Get two energy back, baby. Your turn. That's the turn. Mason has passed priority on the podcast. So, uh, intent. Uh, You know, playing with intent, the biggest thing that is really about, like, playing with a plan. And, and, you know, the best way you could look at this is, like, describing it as different levels. So, like, level zero, when you first start playing Magic, is, like, you're kind of in your own zone, and you're playing your spells, and you're trying to do the most efficient things that you can do on a given turn. This may mean, like, using all your mana every turn and like if you that's the only thing you really think about and it's like if you do that you're going to win a fair amount of games the next level would be that you are playing with a plan you're like every turn you're looking at how am i going to win the game what am i playing towards how am i going to position or move this game in the direction that i'm going to win the game uh and then the next level would be recognizing that your opponent is also doing that and that your opponent has a plan and that their decisions and their plays aren't random that they're also trying to maneuver the game in such a way that they're going to win the game, and that you may have to make plays or make decisions based on what their plan is as well as what your own plan is. I like that. So you were telling me before the podcast story, before the podcast started, a story about your wife that actually worked perfectly with playing of the tent. So I'd love for you to tell this chess story real quick before we dive into it. Sure. Uh, it, the other night, just randomly, my wife and I decided to play chess. This is not a thing that we normally do. I have a, a nice chess set, but it was not not something that we normally do. And so we started to play, and the first game that we played, my wife was, like, making moves seemingly at random. 
just these are how the pieces move. Uh, I'm going to move the the knight here because this is the way that it can go. But like there was no structure to anything that she was doing. She was just making moves. And the game was over fairly quickly as a result of that. So then we played again and her moves were much more intentional. She was looking at each individual turn. She was making trades. She was also trying to put my pieces into position to try to force movements for me. And everything was much more structured. And the game took a lot longer. However, she still lost in that game because she was evaluating everything on a turn-by-turn basis. There was no overall plan. It was what is the most efficient trade or what is the most efficient move that I can make on an individual turn. And as a result of that, she wasn't seeing things in the context of like, I have a plan to try to position your king in a certain way that's going to result in the game ending. And so those decisions weren't there. She kind of went from level zero to level one in between those two games, but wasn't able to put together a plan because it just wasn't the way that she was looking at the game. And then we played again with her having that kind of thinking. And then the game was much more interesting and much more complicated throughout the course of the game because she was now seeing things in a different way. And like to see that evolution, like just in three games of chess, like just in talking through like the way to try to make those decisions was really exciting. Yeah, for sure. I really like that. I think I'm going to be moving back to that example a lot. Cause I think it really does show the evolution of a magic player in a much more condensed time frame, right? Because I think a lot of things that happen is, so like, let's say you're playing limited, right? I've been playing a lot of limited recently. I'm a limited guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Boris, baby. So, Arena has changed you. Yeah, I don't know what a constructed deck looks like these days. <laughs> uh, so like, let's say I have a 2-1, you have a 2-1, right? My 2-1 attacks in your 2-1, we're going to trade, whatever, fine, right? Like, that's just an attack that sometimes people make, sometimes they don't, can't really infer a whole lot from that, right? When you're, like, level 0, just starting the game. But then suddenly, I have a 2-1 and you have a 2-3, and I'm attacking into you. And it seems almost random from the other side, right? Because if you're not playing with intent, you're like, block, right? Like, obviously, my opponent just made a mistake, right? They've just oofed up, and it's like, take heart, plus 2, plus 2, your thing dies, right? And it's like, no, I really needed this creature, right? So I think playing with intent is very important because it's important to think about this because it's an, it's a it's a big picture thing that helps you figure out what the game is going to be about and leveling up to those things makes it easier for you. Does that make sense, Trey, what I'm right. saying? Yeah. yeah, and what's weird about the situation that you gave is that the level one play and the level two play might actually be the same play if you just look at it. But they're for different reasons. Exactly. And that's that's the that was gonna get to that. That's a huge point. Because I say this to people a lot. Someone will bring me a deck and they're like, have three Sarkins main deck, one Teferi, right? And they're just guy control deck with four and admissive. And I'm like, Teferi is a more powerful card than Sarkin. Why do you have Sarkin? Right? Even if it turns out in three weeks that Sarkin is a three of and Teferi is a one of is the right play, it doesn't matter to me if your reasoning is I like Sarkin. Right, yeah. It just doesn't matter. That, that's wrong, right? Like, even if you got to the right thing doing the wrong method, I think that's bad for you long-term in Magic. But if your reasoning is, Niv-Mizzet is the most powerful thing I can be doing right now. I want to play it on turn four every game. I have a lot of situational removal cards, so I need Sarkin to loop through them, right? And even though Teferi is essentially three mana, I do need to commit five mana on a turn. That's a lot, especially with these Jeskai Control Mirrors growing. So I want to have this one that I can play on five but have Negate backup game one i think that is a big difference it doesn't even matter if those things are true to me what matters is you have thought about the game and you have formed a game plan and you have a reason right and i think reason and intent is a huge part uh, is a huge part of playing with intent i think we're jumping a little too far ahead right now 
Let's circle back around to level zero. So Trey, if you're someone who's just starting to really grind PBDQs and you're just starting to really start playing Magic, how would you say is a good way to overcome the level zero thing? Because level zero is where everyone starts, right? Right. Like you, you learn Magic and you're like, my 3-3 three, three can attack into their 2-2 two, two because my 3-3 three, three has one more power and toughness than their 2-2, two, two, right? But how do you start to grow and adapt from there? You can't remember with anything that you I remember as decades ago. <laughs> Once again, I'm very old. Um, Time comes for everyone, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that one of the big breakthrough moments for me was the idea of like recognizing on turns when I didn't spend all of my mana, even though I had plays that I could made that did spend all of my mana, because of the way I think that it's going to progress the game across the, the rest of the turns or the rest of the game. Because I think that's a real level zero position. It'd just be like, I need to spend all my mana every turn. And if I spend all my mana every turn, I'll develop the game in such a way that I'm at least moving through things efficiently. So, sorry, so you mean like level zero, like they've learned basic strategy and stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so like you've you've, you've listened to LR and been like, LSV says use all my mana every turn, so I'm going to use all my mana every right. turn. Right. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. Right. Miscommunication on my part. Yeah. Continue. And so, you know, I think that that's a, that's a big one. And the thing is, that's a hard one to get over. Because if you do that, you're going to win a lot of games of Magic overall. Like, because you're using your resources effectively. But I know it was a real big breakthrough moment, like the turn where you, like, don't use all of your mana, even when you could, because this is going to put you in a better position across the next few turns in order to try to win the game. It's like, you know, I might have, a, a, you know, an example from a, a previous one. Uh, you know, if you have, like, a Glorybringer and a Chandra, right? And it's like, well, I have five mana, so I should play Glorybringer because... This is going to get me farther along on what it is that I need to do. And it's like, well, but they have, you know, a, a creature there that's going to come in and it's going to do something. But if I play Chandra and Minus, then I'm going to have more mana next turn and I'm going to be able to double spell. And it's going to be more efficient across turns, even though it's less efficient on this individual turn. And it's like getting into those moments, I think, of like recognizing when the rule, like the default rule is a rule that you shouldn't follow for the purpose of advancing the game overall is like that breakthrough moment when you're like, oh, maybe I should be looking at that every turn and not just getting on an autopilot of spend whatever all my mana is on this turn. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I really like that point. I think that makes a, a good amount of sense that it's like, I need to respond to what my opponent, I need to be responding to like efficiency over multiple turns, which means not being as efficient on this turn, which leads to the responding to what your opponent's doing, right? Right, yeah, and I don't know that I did the best job of explaining that, but like you might get into a situation where like I'm going to be less efficient on this turn, but if I make this play this turn, then I get to double spell next turn. Yeah. Where if I were to spend all my mana this turn, then I still am only playing one spell next turn, mm -hmm. right? And like once you start thinking about those things multi-turn wise, then you're starting to move in the right direction of like leveling up in that regard. Mm -hmm. But what about you? Like, what's a what's a situation that you can think of where that kind of breakthrough happened? Uh, for like level zero to one, yeah. I want to get back to your Glorybringer thing too, because I think there's a moment we can go to one to two along that same exact example you gave as oh, well. Oh, sure. But uh, we can come back to that later when we talk about two. I just want to remind you to remind me. Yeah. So one of the big things that I think of when I was my moment of going from like zero to uh, one was I was playing Mardu vehicles, and essentially it was Mardu vehicles Marvel format. And I could have played a Depala to buff up my veteran motorist and my Heart of Karen, whatever that card's called, right? The 4-4 four, four Vigilance? Heart of Karen. Yeah, yeah you're right, it. you're right. Yeah. And you can play that, and you can just be on the board, and like, beep, beep, attack him, right? Which is pretty good a lot of the time. But my opponent was playing a deck that really uh, was punishing on, like, removal spells. and looked like they didn't have any. So instead, I activated my Heart of Karen and attacked with it to do 5, and they used their mana to kill my Heart of Karen. 
which allowed me to play to Paula and not just lose my board and everything. So it was a moment where I was able to incentivize, like, dictate my opponent's plays with what I was doing by acting in a different order, where normally it's like you play your lord before combat because combat and stats work well together. And instead it's like, my opponent has a kill spell, I need this Depaula to live. But by the way, if you don't know, Depaula drew cards when she tapped, so like drawing extra cards is nice. Right. So it's like, I can play Depaula, and now, next turn, when I attack with her, right, either they tap out, I can get underneath counter magic, or when I attack, I can spin my mana that way, draw more cards they have to answer than later. So I lost damage this turn, but gained potential advantage and tempo in the later turns. I I think that's a huge one. Like the idea of playing a lord post combat, and you'll you'll always get if you're online or if you're in person. The chat's like, why didn't you play that first? You yeah. know, like you missed out on damage, dumb dumb. And it's like you're you got me. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. I did miss it on two damage. You may now cast your wrath. <laughs> right, it's like that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that was one of the bigger moments for me. I remember it with limited. Where it came, um, where I wanted to, this was a recent, I mean, this is something I've already kind of learned and I know now, but it was a good example of it, where I really wanted to take, play Take Heart before combat, so that I could get the Mentor trigger onto my Healer's Hawk. Mm -hmm. But I was attacking with so many creatures that I actually wanted to Take Heart once I declared attackers, because I didn't see the game going as long term, right? So, even though if I Mentor my Healer Hawk over four turns, right, it's going to gain eight life. If I'm attacking with five creatures now... I can attack, maybe they make bad blocks, and I'll gain 5 life, plus the one from Healer Hawk, right? And it's like, alright, I've gained almost as much life, but I've made a play that makes my opponent make plays in response to it. Mm -hmm. Which might be a little bit more of a higher thing, but that was one that I thought of where it's like, man, I really want to mentor here, That's because normally you want to build your Healer Hawk as much as possible, but I don't think the game's going to last that long. Right. And, and this is it's kind of a silly trick, but it, the example that you gave about the um, playing the Lord is I think a good example. I, I think a big difference that you can see between people at level zero and starting to get to level one is how much they utilize the second main phase. Mm. Like the set, the second main phase from people who are really starting out and playing competitively or starting out and trying to learn strategies, or whatever they they like go through the thing. They like play their spells and then they attack and then they end their turn. Right, like they always go through that series of things. And like when you start like utilizing the second main phase more, I think you start to move in a better direction of like recognizing that that time's there and that you can like make them have to make decisions with less information and play stuff later, especially if you're not going to get a direct advantage or even sometimes if you would get a direct advantage, like in your example, but you're trying to dictate what their course of play is. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Hearthstone actually did a good job of helping with that. One thing I remember when I used to play Hearthstone is I'd play spells, attack, and then play spells, right? But if you never played Hearthstone, you can attack at any point during your turn. There's no phase. There is turn, their turn. Right. Turn, their turn. So it was a thing where it's like, Oh, if I had just, like, attacked my 2-1 and their 2-2, it died. Then when I played the spell, this thing would have died. And I got a guarantee kill on it instead of increasing, like, the odds or whatever. Or if I attack first, right, I might get the arcane missiles to kill them instead. Or those kind of things, right? Where, like, playing the game forced you to play in almost a jazz way, some would say. <laughs> where it's free-forming. Do what you like. Bibbidi -bobbidi -bobbidi. Right? And nobody likes it. And no one likes jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Much like no one likes Hearthstone. <laughs> We're a Keyforge podcast, baby. Artifact next week, baby. Artifact. Um, no, but for real, I, that was a moment too. Like, when you think about that, I remember thinking about how I would do fine at Hearthstone. But, like, you know, when I, like, when I was, like, hitting Legend or, like, making good runs towards it, right? It was those kind of things where I was, like, really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I think Hearthstone helps a lot with that. 
for sure. I want to talk about your Glorybringer play, though. All right. The Chandra. Because it was interesting because I was like, oh, I know exactly where he's going with this. So <laughs> you, you talk about having this Chandra that you can play, right? Yeah. And you're like, well, I could play this Glorybringer, and I could kill their thing and progress my board. Or they might be playing their own Glorybringer on the next turn and try and race back. If I play Chandra in minus, right, I'm more efficient on the next turn with double spells. But I could lose my Chandra to their Glorybringer because we're on Glorybringer turns, right? If I hold my Chandra and I play my Glorybringer, it looks like I'm extending in. They might try and start a race with me, and then I can Chandra minus and take the lead again. Right. So it, that was an interesting moment where even in just that one example, and it shows how deep magic is, it's like, well, I can play this Chandra, and then next turn I can play Rogue Refiner and Glorybringer. Great turn. Or I can play Glorybringer, which is like the level zero play, with the intent of baiting their Glorybringer and starting a race. Because like in my head, you're imagining a losing situation, right? Where you're like, you're behind, and like, well, I'm going to Glorybringer, you're a long test cub pub. And then, <laughs> it's a good and then yeah, well, they're our sponsor, try. That's what being a good show is. Uh, no, but then, you know, they kill your thing and you're like, perfect, Chandra minus. Now your best thing in the matchup is gone. I have Chandra still. And I'll hold my creatures back. Go. Right. So I think it's interesting just in that example, how it can go so many different ways and the way in which you play it matters a lot too. So I think you could also make your player Chandra be like, I don't really need to kill their Rogue Refiner this turn. I'll just tick up my Chandra and to him, right? And then on the next turn, I can still do the play that you talked about, but now my Chandra lives through Glorybringer. So when they attack in, I'll have to draw out the trade boards, but then I'll have Glorybringer to kill their stuff too. So there's a lot of interesting deep things you can do, and that's why Team Rare Energy Mirror is one of the most fun of all time. Uh, Trey, you seem to be choking up. Are you sad because Team Rare Energy Mirrors <laughs> are gone? You're not talking. Uh, but I think there's a lot going on there. I know this episode's been a little more freeform, like jazz, uh, but. <laughs> I think it's important because it's hard to talk about these things, I think, without going through and talking about them all. So we talked about a lot of zero to one. Trey, do you have any examples when you went like from one to two? I can edit out the silence. Don't worry. <laughs> you can edit out the silence. <laughs> Just a big old minute there. <laughs> um, a good example of one to two. I have uh, an example of one to two. All right, let's try. What are you doing, guys? So my opponent was playing Infect. Right, I'm playing Bant Spirits, and I went turn one, fetch lane, go, with the intent of getting a Hollowed Fountain, right, and then playing my Lord on two. It's in the dark, right? And then I have a Path of Exile in my hand, and I play plays turn one, Glistener Elf. Right, Glistener Elf is a 1-1 one, one with Infect. They kill you with Infect. So you have Path in hand, you can pretty easily Path the Glistener Elf, right? They get a little bit of mana, but now they have no Infectors. They can't kill me for a while and we can develop our board. And I've used all my mana, right, Trey? Mm-hmm. I just take two more damage. Damage doesn't matter against Infect, right? Their thing's dead. I get a Lord on board. Let's go, baby. Instead, I fetched, Holofound tapped, draw, land, play Supreme Phantom, go, right? What, what have I done? They have an Infector now. They can pump it up. They attacked with their Infector. I blocked immediately with one of my best creatures in the match. Or this is one of my best creatures in my deck. They used the pump spell. I'm like, okay. Land, draw soul captain, go. They attack in, I block. They attack in, I block. Right? Eventually, I trade off of the thing with a Mausoleum Wanderer. Right? They play a Blight Agent, and I path. Right? People would be watching and be like, that was a lot of discipline to hold on to the path that long. Right? But what really mattered is that I already had the Glistener Elf checked. I have three creatures in my hand. Right? And they had to have a pump spell every turn, which means they're not developing. Right? And I'm working towards collecting company spell color turns. The card I can't beat is Blighted Agent, right? Ink Moth Nexus I have, it's a flyer. All my creatures are flyers. Glistening Elf, I have a bunch of blockers I can take it. Blighted Agent is one I can't beat. So Path in that matchup has one purpose only. 
to kill Blighted Agent, right? And as soon as they play Blight Agent, as soon as the shields are down, I should go for it. I shouldn't wait. I shouldn't try and get a two-for-one, because the only card that can beat me in the matchup is Blighted Agent. So you have to play the game around beating Blighted Agent. Where I think a lot of other times people would have just been like, path your Glistener Elf. Or maybe not even block the first time. They'd be like, hit me. And they're like, ah, pump spell, play a noble go, or whatever, right? Just those kind of things, I think, matter a lot of forcing your opponent to work through your resources and kind of knowing what like what resources matter in the matchup, I should say. And you're working through and you're using other things kind of in like this mavericky way of answering a problem, and eventually you have the hammer for the thing that you need to nail down. Yeah, and I think that there's a couple of things that come up in the example that you gave that I think people make missteps with. Mm-hmm. Is that first is that people hate trading a creature for a pump spell. Like, it doesn't feel good, I'll say it that. It does, doesn't feel good. Like, as a general rule, that's a thing that people get very upset about. It's like, I blocked and they had a pump spell. And it's like, so my guy died and their guy lived. And it's like, they got me. And it's like, you still traded one for one. You traded one card for one card. Like, they, that's it. That's all that happened. Now, they may have come out on a mana advantage there, especially an infect, right? Like, they spent one mana and to kill your, your two mana or your three mana thing, right? And so they're ahead from a resources standpoint that way. But, like, generally otherwise, like, you traded a card for a card. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter anything outside of that, especially when your deck is, like, almost all creatures. Like, you're just continuing to play those blockers. And you, you like, show a good understanding of that, like, trading process in that thing, right? That their guys aren't particularly threatening without those pump spells. And you have a, a large amount of those resources that are coming. And that, you know, it's a thing that particularly newer players or inexperienced players, or people who are still thinking at that lower level way, make that mistake all the time. It's like, well, I don't want to block because they could have a pump spell. And it's like, if I am not willing to make those trades card for card, then they always have it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, a, that's also a way to think about it. And so I think that that's, that's a good example. And then um, the the second thing with it is that Recognizing not only what's important is that if your opponent's not thinking that way, the fact that you didn't path their guy and that you've been blocking may make it where they don't play around you having a removal spell. Like, you don't have it. If you had a removal spell, you would have used it. And so if they're not thinking about what's important or they're not understanding what's important, then you may be able dictating their course of play throughout the course of the game by holding on to it. Yeah. And I think another thing that's important is I gave a very basic example, right? And if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, like, there's so many things to consider. And that's true with magic, right? It's not like every time you play against spirits, you just always block the Glistener Elf. You do need to, like, apply pressure and do these sort of things, right? But noticing when you can exploit your opponent in that way, where it's like, maybe they don't have a Noble. Maybe they're on one land, right? Maybe they're waiting to main phase to their land, which is a really good plan, in fact, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe they don't, they don't have another land. And so now if you do that, you're trading time, and you're working towards more powerful things. So I think it's just important to be aware of the game state and aware of what matters in the game is what we're talking about, right? In that game, the example I described to you, I basically said, I have infinite creatures, I can only lose the blind agent. So, held on the path. Right? right. Just important to remember that the, the context isn't always even the same, which is what makes magic so good, and that's where level 2 is, right? Is that not every game blind agent will matter. Because there will be games where you're like, well, I have 4 mana and I have spell color path, right? And they have 2 mana. So when they attack with their glistener elf, I'm going to path, right? And if they let that go and they play blind agent, I have spell queller now. If they try and protect it, I have spell queller for when they play blind agent later. Right. right? Or I can, like, spell call the pump spell and then get him block, right? So there's a lot of things you can do, and it's just important to, like, be aware of what matters in the game state. 
So while I really like that path example for Infect, and we kind of talked about before the podcast started too, it's important to remember that the game's constantly developing and changing, and what matters change too. And it's important to be aware of the context in the game. In the podcast where we talked about um, my GP Atlanta experience, I talked about a game with Mateo, which I've thought about almost every day since that <laughs> last time. And I played against Mateo. He was playing Dredge. And what's really impressive about the game is when I was playing Mateo, I was thinking about everything Mateo could Dredge. Because I was in a mo- I was kind of like in the zone where I'm like, this is a pro. I want to beat this guy. I want to give him my best. I want to make sure I'm giving everything I can. I want to win this. It's also like, if I win this round, I'm locked for day two, right? I need to beat this guy so I can do this. I'm playing Mateo. I'm thinking about everything. And Mateo's thinking about everything that he could hit off his dredges. And we're both playing at a level that's playing around with the other person's playing that it feels almost like a dance at times. Where like, I like kind of swoop in and he swoops back out. And I zig and he zags. And we're both thinking about the only things that matter at that point. And, well, not even that point, but, like, for the game to win. And Mateo's like, I'm not hitting any creeping shells, right? I need to get to these creeping shells. So do I need to dredge five in order to, like, race him? Or do I need to dredge this life from the loam in order to make sure that I can conflagrate him? So just things like that were, I could tell they were both thinking about all the time. And I think it's one of the most... It's one of the best examples I have of level two thinking and thinking about stuff. I think another really good example is Mansfield versus Kai from PT Guilds of Ravnica that just happened in round six. Round six, yeah. So if you haven't seen that, you should definitely go Google Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica round six, Kai Buddha versus Seth Mansfield, host of the Constructive Criticism these days. And you should watch that game and you'll see that they're both playing around each other's spells and playing to win and playing about around what matters the entire game. Yeah. There, there was a great turn in, in that match where uh, Kai had a Llanowar Elf, and he had four mana with the Llanowar Elf, and he had a Vraska's Contempt in hand. And he blocked an Adanto Vanguard, and it was specifically, like, you could tell that he'd, like, structured the turn to, like, cast Vraska's Contempt that turn. And then he blocked the Adanto, Van- Adanto Vanguard and just passed priority. Like, waiting to see what Mansfield was going to do on whether or not he was going to make it indestructible, what was going to happen in that regard. And when he didn't do anything, he just passed priority back and just let the land of where elf die, never cast the Vraska's Contempt, and saved it for, like, three turns later. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that turn, like, the default play would have just been like, well, I set up the turn to do this. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do this, then I've, I've set up my turn for something that, was, that I missed or anything else. But it's like, well, what mattered was killing the Vanguard, and then everything else will go from there. But like that, that turn particularly was one that was a huge discipline. I thought uh, in, in in holding back on like not using all your mana, not casting the spell, making that decision in the moment, and and ended up, you know, the result of that him winning the game later as a result of having made that play. For sure, I think another example in that same game is Seth is just playing History Banali every single turn, but he's stuck on mana. Right. And Kai is developing his mana, and he has these Jaylight Rangers and Merfolk Branchwalkers, and he's just attacking it yeah. every turn. He's like. I can't win if I just hold back, you're attacking and I'm losing all these things. I need to race you. When the default might be, history of is really good. When it pops off, it hurt me a lot. I need to hold back to trade. Right? It's like, no, if I'm going to win this game, I need to race you right now. Because you're stuck on resources, which means you, like, if you only have three lands, you have a bunch of spells in your hand. And as soon as you start drawing lands, you're going to overrun me. So I can't let the game go that long. And you're already kind of ahead. I need to pressure you. Yeah, the, there were multiple examples in that Pro Tour uh, between... In that match, there were also several matches with Yuya mm-hmm. uh, playing Drake, where like you're behind on board, like you're going to get overrun on board, and even the commentators were like, they're attacking, and that's strange or whatever. 
but it was about having a plan, right? That's like, okay, I have a very limited way that I'm going to win this game, but I know that not attacking is certainly not going to win the game, right? Like, if I hold back, I'm just going to lose. And Yuya had one where he, like, attacked with an Arclight Phoenix to take him uh, take his opponent to 17 when he was taking, like, 10 on the swing back. And it's like, well, I have to draw exactly this and, like, a maximum uh, velocity and in order to win. But if I do, then I'm going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I can't make this win attack. if the game goes three turns. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the ability to see those plays is really astonishing. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we're kind of getting near the end here, but I think one of the things to think about if you're hearing these things and you're like, I didn't think like this. I think it's important not to try to jump to, like, level two thinking immediately in the way we described it, right? Where you think about what your opponent can be doing. Because I think it's important to get there, but I think you do need to, like, build up towards it, kind of like a pyramid, right? Mm -hmm. If you just jump to the top of the pyramid, that's cool, but you don't have that base. And I think you need to be working on it. And it's aware to be cognitive of, like, my opponent has a plan, I need to think about that. But it's also important to remember that, like, you're, you need to play with a plan and then practice doing that and then practice playing around their plan. Because if you're so worried about playing around their plan, you'll never be playing to win. And so you need, you need to find the balance of, I'm playing to win the game right now, and I need to play around your plan of winning the game at the same time. Right. You have to develop that first skill first. And I think if you're lacking the, if you're hearing me say, I'm not playing to win ever, I'm just playing to survive, I think you need to focus on doing that first. Yeah, and I, th I think there's another part of it too, of that you can play around too much. Like, I think that yeah. you were saying that, right? Like, like if your opponent, like a great example of going from, you know, level one to level two is your opponent has like seven cards in hand and leaves up four mana and doesn't play anything. The odds that they have a counter spell or a removal spell, depending on what type of deck they are, like probably pretty high because it doesn't make sense that they didn't play anything. Mm -hmm. Or if it's unlimited right now, they have a whisper agent or that, you know, they have yeah. something because it doesn't make sense that they didn't play anything. And it's like, so you want to respect that. You could take a turn off and not play anything in order to make them have wasted their turn, you know? You could just attack in or do whatever it is you were going to do without playing or extending into it. But then there might be other times where, like, it's a bluff. And if you're not advancing your plan, then you're not doing anything. So you have to think about that all the time at, at the various different things. And a, a, a second, a secondary mistake that I see people play, and, and the example that you were talking about with Kai in the history of Benalia is, is a good example of it, is that when your opponent has some kind of an advantage or has some kind of a trump card, people go totally defensive too fast. They're like, well, I have to pump the brakes and I have to just sit on defense and I have to, I, I can't worry about anything else because now I have to just focus everything on defense or I have to stop worrying about what's there. And, you know, a, a good example with that is that I've been playing a lot of dredge in, in modern lately. And, you know, opponents have hate cards for dredge. It's always going to be what it is. What? So I know it's crazy. But I see it happen when I'm watching other people play dredge where like an, an opponent will play like a Tormod's Crypt on turn one. And the dredge player just stops dredging. They're like, well, I've got to start doing this, and I've got to find my removal spell, and I've got to start doing something that I can deal with that so that I can do my plan. And it's like, you can just deal with that kind of a piece and that kind of a removal spell by forcing their hand, force their action. You know, make plays that dredge things into the yard that they have to deal with or have to answer or at least have to make a choice, and then you can try to develop from there. And the deck is built around cards that let you do that. Things like Cathartic Reunion or Faithless Looting that like let you force the issue after you force their action. But I think it's a big mistake to like your opponent played something defensively, so now you have to stop everything that you were doing until you can answer that. And it's a good way to allow your opponent to dictate the entire course of the game. Especially something like Tormod Script, right? 
Where it's like every turn that you don't make them pop Tormod's Crypt and you play around at the point of not putting stuff in your graveyard, it's rest in peace for zero mana. Right. It just is. That's yeah. just how it, how it plays like. So I think that's important. You know, you were talking about your first example there about giving them a card, right? And you kind of talk about there too, where like they're giving you rest in peace. And I think I have a good example of this from GP Atlanta, around four I played against Hardened Scales, right? And I won the match because my opponent played around Spell Queller for about four turns. And because they played around Spellcaller for four turns, they clearly didn't develop the board like they were supposed to. And I interacted with ways I could. I never had Spellcaller the entire game, but I recognized my opponent was respecting Spellcaller because of my Aether Vial on three. So I kept positioning the game in a stance where I was like, my opponent is clearly thinking about what I'm thinking, and I can see that in his eyes. The problem is, is he's not positioning himself to double spell when he easily could and get through me. Mm-hmm. Or may, may, I assume he could. He's playing hard skills. It's a very low CMC deck. Right. And so I'm going to answer my things in a way, and I'm going to play my cards in a way that makes him keep respecting Spell Queller. Because if he's going to give me two turn cycles like this, how many more turn cycles can I get? And because he did that, I was able to chip in long enough to go Coco Coco, get Lords, and Alpha kill him. In a position where, like, I was very much, like, kind of behind on board. This ballista's checking me, but he can't really do anything. Because I had this spell queller, so he can't commit enough to make the ballista bigger. Yada yada yada. Um, I'm sorry, it was he had a ballista in hand because mm-hmm. I reflect major, so I know he has a ballista that can like kind of clear the board. But he's trying to get to a point where it can be big enough to get around spell queller. But like at a certain point, you have to play into these kind of things and force my hand in other ways. So he never did that. He gave me, as I said, the respect of a king. <laughs> I had it all, and as such, he lost. And I should not have won that round. That that's the thing we talk about a lot, right? Where it's like people walk by and like, man, I shouldn't have won that round. Well, the reason you won is you mastered the skill that they didn't, right? right? And your opponent didn't realize that I can't win the game if two more turns go by, right? My, my spirit's opponent is building the board up, and I'm taking these little chip shots, and I'm falling down low, and I, this is getting bad. And as such, you know, it's just something they have to be aware of. So, yeah, and it's a it's a good example. You know, I think I may have said this a second ago, but if you like, you want to recognize the possible plays that somebody could have. But you also want to have a plan, like to going back to the overall theme. It's like, okay, if they have Spell Queller, I can't win. So I might as well not play around it, because if, if they have it, I can't win. Yeah. Right? So I'm just going to go ahead and make the play into it. and Because otherwise, if I don't play into it, they had it. Yeah. Right? So, so there were moments where my opponent played cards like Hanger Backwalker. Uh, and I didn't spell queller, but I stopped and thought like I had spell queller. Right. And doing things like that made them think I had spell queller. So when they never, like, they kept trying to, like, chump check me almost, like, heck, kid, play your spell queller on my hangerback walker. I'm like, nah, man, I got to rip hangerback walkers a 2 2. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because they, they did that and they, like, started to, they moved every, they started to sack things to an Arcman worker and they tried to sack and move it to hangerback walker. I'm like, just rip and play. And right. like, oh, yeah, I can't make Thopters, blah, blah, blah. And they lost because of that, too, right? Yeah. Where, like, they could have made blockers. Because they, they kept thinking they could play around Spellcaller, but they couldn't afford to play around Spellcaller. Right. So, stuff like that really matters. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, like, a good wrap-up of playing with Intent. I think we kind of covered everything that I wanted to cover. Is there anything that you wanted to think? No, I think that that's it. You know, just a big thing that I, I, I've said this to Tommy many times, that uh, if you always play around your opponent having it, they had it. Mm-hmm. Like it, and it's a hard lesson to think about, but it's like, it's like, well, I, they they could have had a counter spell. It's like they did have a counter spell. You let them counter every spell because you never played any. Yeah, like like I think specifically around counter spells, it's like if you never play into the counter spell, right? Like I think a big thing in the last two years of standard has been turn four against control has been glimmer chemistry insight, right? Right. If you have a crackling Drake and you think they have a counter spell, they're going to have a counter spell in the next turn. Right. But if they have chemistry insight and a counter spell, 
they're going to have two more cards in the counter spell. So you need to play your Crackling Drake and be like, listen, do you want to draw cards or are you going to not let me do my thing? Yeah. And it can be a thing where it's like, I've got all these spells and I need lands. I have to let this result. I have to commission insight to try and draw lands to get out of it. And then you put them kind of on the back foot now because now there's a threat in play. Now they answer it. You're like, well, you answered it. Enigma Drake, I have dive down, man, and go. They answer it. You dive down. Right. Things like that happen and you work through the counter spells in other ways. Yeah. And there are other times where they can't afford to tap out because you have a flash threat like a Whisper Agent, right? Like something like that. And you can play around cards that way. Right. Well, and the other thing is, too, is that, like, it's a thing that I think people forget is that, you know, with magic, it's always a game of trading resources. And, like, you get into these situations as, well, I can't do this. They might have that. And, like, at some point, you're going to have to trade something. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you have to work your way through whatever it is that's there. And you might get information of, like, oh, I played into it and they didn't counter it. It's like, did they do that by choice or did they not have it? Or were they short on lands and so they had to cast chemistry's inside in order to try to make sure, like, you're going to get information by playing into it. You get nothing by doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is an important episode. I hope we did it justice. This might be an episode, two that we come back to in the future and talk more about. I think it's an episode that we can talk a lot about, and there's a lot to be mined here, and there's definitely more we can talk about. I can already think about things, but we're running a little long in the tooth here. We need to wrap this up. If you Long in the tusk. Oh my god, I failed our sponsor. (laughs) Oh god. It was right in front of me. Oh god. They're never going to sponsor me again. I'll never have Thopters again. Oh god, all that energy. I'm not in tune with our sponsor. All right. So if you want to find me, you can follow me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Facebook at Mason Clark. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. Streaming a lot of arena. I think I'm going to try a little artifact out. I've got a, a grudge match coming against a little Luke Skipupski next week. He was talking a little bit of the SHIT. Going to get hit, kid. Mm. So we'll see. <laughs> Trey, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at TreyMC. Find me on Instagram at TreyMC. Uh, most places at TreyMC <laughs> pretty consistent. Yeah, you can follow me on my uh, Flickr <laughs> at TreyMC. What's the new one? The the chatty one? Have you seen? Uh, have you no. not seen this new thing? No. Oh man, it's like it's a Snapchat. No, no, uh, no. It's like Vine kind of, but like you have two videos next to each other. So WhatsApp? No, it's not WhatsApp. <laughs> it, it's really weird though. I, I don't know. I'm getting old. That's how I knew I was old. The other day it was eight o'clock, and I was like, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> um, but. That's going to do it for the podcast this week. I hope you all enjoyed the podcast. I know we were a little scatterbrained with this one, but it's Christmas time. I got a lot of turkey in my system. I got a lot of burgers in my system. And I hope we did it justice, and I hope you got something from it. Uh, roll with us next week. So, uh, instead of doing a uh, wow, okay, or anything else like that, I want to talk a little bit about something that happened to me recently. Wow. Okay, just don't do the segment. I yeah, understand. Yeah. That's fine. So, I promise this isn't a wow okay. Uh, <laughs> this isn't some a long... <laughs> it's not an elaborate wow okay con. Um, I, I recently got a tattoo. It's my first tattoo. It is a magic-related tattoo of art from the original show-and-tell on my arm. Uh, Jeff Lovenstein's art's great. Please, show-and-tell the class, Trey. Yeah, yeah. Ha! Ha! ha. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. The, uh... But yeah, so it was great. And so I, I got the tattoo and it was it was later at night and I left the, the place and I went next door to a gas station in order to um, just get a drink. And when I went in, there was a, a kid behind the counter. He couldn't have been any older than like 17. Young guy. And I, I got my drink. I walked over and he goes, is that a tattoo? Like, yeah, it, it's like my whole forearm for everyone that's yeah, <laughs> listening. It, it goes from his wrist up to his elbow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big tattoo. He's like, is that a tattoo? Yeah, yeah. Today he's like, 
show it to me. So I showed it to him, and he's like, that's cool. Who did it? I gave him the details about it. And uh, he's like, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo, but I'm worried about my career prospects. He's like, okay, that's pretty reasonable. What have you been thinking about getting? He pointed to the left side of his neck, right under his jawline, said, I've been thinking about getting kissy lips, or, he pointed at the other side of his neck, three black crosses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, said, yeah, man, I don't know if going from zero to neck tattoo is the right way to go. Um, this is a pretty big tattoo, but, like, if I want to go to something professional, I can wear a shirt. Like, if you have a neck tattoo, the only thing you can do is wear a turtleneck like a psychopath or some kind of weird Steve Jobs cosplay, and I don't really know if that's the best idea. And he just looked at me and goes, I appreciate you. And then that was it. And I walked away. And I really hope that I see that guy a few years down the road with either kissy lips... Or three black crosses. But on his arms. No. <laughs> you want them on his neck? No, I want, him on his, I want him right in the middle of his face at oh, this point. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, okay. All right, roll with us next week. You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructive Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us.